Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never, ever about food or weight. Never, ever. Not even. One time. Not ever. Ever, ever. Hello, everyone. This is Lori Lee Rourke from It's Not About Food podcast. And today we are talking about the idea of hunger and what is hunger and why do we even have a body love card about hunger? And I know when I had my own eating disorder, I had no idea what hunger was. I felt like I was either always hungry or never hungry. I had no clue. And I certainly didn't put it together with being hungry for love or uh, physical hunger, emotional hunger, spiritual hunger. I didn't understand that it was so much more than just, do I eat all the cupcakes or not? (laughs) So it really is a much bigger subject than just eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full. That is a great way to recover from an eating disorder. It's a very easy thing to remember the intuitive eating, but it has so many more fingers that go all over your whole self. So that's what we're going to hopefully talk about today. And the front of the card has the goddess standing with her hands sort of on her belly. And her deer is sitting next to her and there looks like they have a leaf, some kind of, I don't know what that is. That's like a branch with some leaves on it. I feel like it's a pensive card. She's sort of wondering, what is hunger? And am I hungry? And how do I know if I'm hungry? And the card reads, hunger is our strong desire to meet our own needs. Many of us have forgotten how to differentiate between our physical, emotional, and spiritual hunger. When we relearn to listen to our bodily wisdom and internal cues, we can begin to understand this difference and meet each hunger with the appropriate response. We can then be satisfied and content. So for me, like I was saying, it was very, very hard to see that it was more than just physical hunger, that there was a lot of different hungers that I had that I didn't know how to address. I didn't know how to take care of. I didn't know what to do with. And that was the learning of how to get over my own eating disorder. And it's what I've been doing with clients all these years and talking about what you are really hungry for and how to give that, how to satisfy that hunger. I'm very, very happy to have a wonderful person with me today who's written the sweetest book. And I'm going to let her talk about herself and what she's doing and also about her book and just have a talk about hunger. So um, introducing Ashley and you can Go for it, girl. Start away. (laughs) Well, when I was 17, I decided exactly what I wanted to do for my career. And that's because 
in high school, I just suffered from a real preoccupation and obsession with my food and my eating and body image and, and exercise. And when I was 17, my mom called the hospital for help and they asked what my weight was and it wasn't low enough. And so they didn't really have anywhere to send me. And I remember I was this really passionate 17 year old. <laughs> and I remember looking around at all the people in my lives and seeing so many people suffering from this issue just because we weren't bad enough, then we're supposed to just go about our lives. And it's where I really learned that the term disordered eating as opposed to an eating disorder being in the gray area. And when I realized that disordered eating is normalized in our culture, I said, I want to be a practitioner that helps people <laughs> in that gray area return to wellness. And of course, at that time, Anita Johnston's beautiful book, Eating in the Light of the Moon, fell into my lap. Yes. Oh, my God. Of course. <laughs> which helped me immensely and still does to this day. And I think when I talk about hunger, her theory of the two tanks really shows up for me with tank A being your physical hunger. And when we know how to fill our tank because we feel physically hungry and we fill that tank with physical nourishment, wild animals and babies are very in tune with this. Yes, they've got it down. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and the way that you talked about it with the way that we know how to fill this tank is intuitive eating. Yeah. And I did eventually have my own private practice and I worked with individuals and helped them return to wellness from disordered eating. And I would work with them in tank A and they would get to know their hunger signals and get pretty good at knowing if you have your hunger on a continuum from zero to 10, zero being been lost in the woods for two days and I can't find food and 10 being I've eaten two turkey dinners in a row. <laughs> Learning really what that subtle signals of hunger are, three or a four, eating at a three or a four, when that little sort of voice knocks, excuse me, I'm hungry, yeah. as opposed to these extreme, I'm hungry, and then learning how to stop at a five or a six. Again, subtle. And I would notice that, you know, they can get really good at stopping at a six. I can stop at a six, I'm good, okay. I like to imagine, let's say, a woman comes home after having a really busy day at work and she's flitting from one thing to the other and she's getting things done on her to-do list and all day long one thing to the other and she finally gets home and she's able to make her dinner and she sits down and she eats her dinner and cleans the kitchen and then she sits down and says whew i'm at a six okay i'm at a six but i'm still hungry and she walks <laughs> into the kitchen and she grabs a snack and she eats it and another pause, <sighs> I'm still hungry. And she walks into the kitchen, grabs another snack, and this can continue all through the evening. I'm familiar with this. Yep. Perhaps other people may be too. <laughs> yep. And so in that, it's like she's physically satisfied. Again, a wild animal and a baby, they'd be done. That baby would push the food away, like that, I'm done. Yet she's still hungry for something. And when you were reading that card, that word hunger to me, it's such an emotional, spiritual hunger in the world that we live in now. When you tend to be wanting to reach for food still and you keep walking to the kitchen in the evening, then it's an indication that tank B is empty. That's right. And that we are yearning for that emotional connection with ourselves and that our emotions are bubbling up and they're trying to teach us something. And so just like 
tank A, it's learning how to fill that tank properly. We could call it intuitive feeling in a way, learning how to go within, return home to ourselves. And I say return because when we're born as babies, we are so deeply connected to our body signals and to our emotions and, and to we're our good hearts. with it. We know what our values are. <laughs> yeah. And we're like, I'm hungry and that's okay with me right now. I'm yeah. full and I'm all over it right now. You know, we're just so accepting. Yeah. There's nothing better than watching even so a three year old, let's say you watch them in the day and you can tell if they haven't gotten enough exercise. They're running around the house and they're pulling posters off the wall and you know that they need to move. And then when they're tired, they just lie on the couch and they just rest. They don't think, oh, I'm so lazy. I shouldn't be lying down right yeah, now. Yeah, no, I've got just, so much stuff to do. They just rest. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and a three-year-old with their values or when they're angry about something, it's no. And they let the world know. Yes. Yeah. I do it myself. Yes. Where do we lose that beautiful connection to ourselves? You know, it seems to me like we step outside the door and all of a sudden it's not about us anymore. If everybody in the restaurant started just crying, they wanted their food right now, it'd be mayhem. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. So we have to learn how to have these feelings, have the feelings of hunger, but take care of them ourselves. And I think that was the hard part for me because I didn't get that memo. <laughs> I thought other people were going to take care of it. And it was bad that they weren't doing it. And I didn't know how to do it either. So it's very confusing, especially in the culture that we come from. Doesn't really like hunger and doesn't like women to have hunger either. I can remember telling somebody, I don't eat. I really don't eat very much. But you know what? I did eat a lot. <laughs> they just didn't see it. <laughs> Well, it's what belief in our culture are you trying to conform yeah. to in that? And when I tell people I don't eat very much, it's like, I'm doing this because I want that sort of smile and approval that I'm a good little girl. I'm good. Okay. I'm, I'm yeah. thinking about how thin I can be. Yeah, it's true. And that brings us to the metaphors for my book, because the sun in the girl's heart that's that soul or heart it's who we really are and then over time as we get a little bit older we start to hear that voice inside of our head that tells us that we're good if we clean up our room we're good if we get good grades we're good if we stay thin as girls with the girl box and gender stereotypes we're good if we stay small and follow the rules and don't take up very much space and just and be for a fairy boys, we stay tough and cool and and so we start listening to that voice and the voice tells us that if we follow it, then people are going to start to like us and they're going to smile at us in, in approval. And then we will be happy finally and have lots of friends and we'll feel safe. Stay little, stay in a little box and the boy has to stay in his little boy box that he's strong and yeah, keeps us safe if we will stay there. Of course, we can't stay there. We're not in a box. <laughs> we're not supposed to be in a box we're moving around the world i have a good example of that is my granddaughter when she was really little was a very small little fairy girl and then her best friend just had a whole different body type and she was beautiful and wonderful and funny and cute and sassy and creative 
But everywhere we went, they would compare the two. And of course, the smallest one, the fairy, got the best. Oh, aren't you so cute and sweet? And the other one just got, and then there's you. And I just got to see it upfront and personal again in front of my face. And I worked a lot of never saying anything about anybody's body. These two girls, they're just, tell me something completely different. Tell me what you're thinking. What are you feeling? What do you imagine? Because I just wanted to be the one voice that didn't compare them and make one of them be okay and the other one like not okay. Yeah, I wish that could be the one rule that everybody would just pay attention to is that I just really don't think it's ever a good idea to make comments about people's bodies. Never. Like even if, even on someone's big toe, because we could make a comment about their big toe. We don't know if they have a complex about that big toe. And when we make a comment about their body, we take the attention off their soul. Yeah. You know, Jonah Hill, the actor lost weight, who cares? But he is talked about all the time about that. And he was on a talk show and somebody mentioned, he said, you know, I just need to stop and say enough with talking about my body. It doesn't make me feel better. It makes me feel worse. I don't like it. Let's talk about my work. So that was a very good thing. Yeah. And I remember in times when I would be in recovery and I would start to feel really good and I'd go off and live my life and I'd be really passionate about all the things that I was doing. And just on the sidelines, maybe I would lose a little bit of weight or something. And then someone would come up to me and the first thing they would say about, you look really good. You look thin. What have you been doing? And the second they would say that, it would put me on this cascade of just a relapse because then I'd say, oh, really? I am doing it? Okay, so what have I been doing? And then it became me hyper-focused again. Right. Well, I really got to see it. I see it all the time and I've been working with it for a really long time for clients and in my own little life and my children and my grandchildren. But I just turned 70 this year. And if I say that, if I had a penny for how many people say, oh, you don't look 70, I would be able to go buy a coffee at Starbucks. But the point is that it's the next comment. And what's wrong with looking 70? What's, why, why would you just, I'm so glad you made it to 70, you're still alive. Why isn't that what it is? But somehow it's supposed to make me feel better about being 70 than I don't look 70. And I don't even know, well, this does look like 70 because I am 70. (laughs) So it's like, it's a weird cultural thing that we don't like whatever the person is that we need to change it so they feel better, but it doesn't make them feel better. Yeah. And if you look at the comments that people are making, they're informed by the cloud, like the voice that's in our head. And they all seem to follow these similar rules that young is better than old, that thin is better than fat, that men are better than women, that intellect is better than intuition, money is better than nature. I mean, the list Little goes on and on Little is better than big. Yes, exactly. Which, and then I find we talk about what we're yearning for and what we're hungry for. They're the exact things that the cloud is taking us away from, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So explain that beautiful work that you're doing with the sun and the cloud and how are those working in like our imagination and how can it help us with our feelings? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's what my children's book is all about. It's really representing the journey that we all follow. So we are all born so deeply connected to our body, emotions, and heart. And then we start to identify with that cloud, with that voice that pulls us away, that voice from culture that tells us we're supposed to be someone else. I really believe it hurts to be disconnected from ourselves. And so we feel this faint pain in our chest and we don't know where it's from and we don't want to feel that feeling. Like almost if we go back to that story with the woman who had made herself dinner and she was at a sixth in her hunger meter, but she was still hungry and she still goes back to the kitchen repeatedly to try to feed herself. If we look at what's happening, she's finally not busy in the day. So what happens is kitchen's clean, she's got nothing else to do, and this emotion comes up with pain, <laughs> yeah. and she goes, Ugh, I don't want to feel that. Exactly. I'm going to go make myself some food. Yeah. And then she eats it, and then <laughs> comes up again. I don't want to feel that. I'm going to scroll on my phone. <laughs> I don't want to feel that. Ugh, I'm going to do some online shopping. Whatever it is, anything to get that pain down. And so what we do is we keep distracting ourselves from the pain, and what it does is our cloud just gets bigger and bigger. And almost when it gets really big, it's almost a gift because something happens in our life often where we get knocked down to our knees. And it is then we ask ourselves, why am I in so much pain? How do I get better? And it is through the learning we learn that the way to get better is to start drilling through all those layers that have been put on top of our sun and to start to reconnect and return home to our body, to reconnect to our body, emotions, and our heart. So to learn how to intuitive eat and listen to our body signals and rest when we need to rest, to listen to our emotions and learn what they're teaching us. And out of those emotions, learn what we value, what our values are. Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm... When you're whining with nurses. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed. Storygram Network. And I love what you said a minute ago about intuitive feelings. It's sort of like be intuitive about all of this because we already know what's best for us. We have a really good gauge in our gut, a lot of us. If we just listen to it, it'll say, this guy is not the right guy. <laughs> this work, I hate this work. I don't want to live in this town anymore. I don't like, you know. I don't like rain. I like sun. Whatever it is, it knows. We know. And we'll just spend a lot of time talking ourselves into something else that we think we should be doing instead of knowing what we should be doing. I think that is actually one of the many gifts with this horrible pandemic that we've been through. But there might be these little sliver of gifts. And one of them is it has made people think do I want to go back to that job? <laughs> Do I want to go to that school anymore? Am I done with this relationship really? You know, whatever, or re-up. I actually do really love that job. I'm going to keep doing it. I'll just find a way to do it. So I think it made all of us have to take uh, stock a little bit. 
Yeah, and I think that's just it, is it's this wrestling. So our heart has been telling us for so long, you don't like this job, but <laughs> our cloud is so loud and it will be, are you sure you like it? But, oh, it's got a really good paycheck. Yeah. It's very safe. And, and are you sure? And we might wrestle back and forth and back and forth. And I think in the process of recovery or returning home to yourself, you start to really listen to that that is from your heart or your soul. And the more you listen to it, the stronger it gets. Yes, exactly. And that brings me to the very end of the metaphors where I bring in the rainbow, which is actually my favorite part of the whole book. And it's, it's where every moment of every day we have these choices to either let our cloud be our leader or our sun. And the more we let our sun be our leader, it's like a muscle. It strengthens our sun and we return back to our sun more easily each time. And when we do that, the sun becomes the consistent leader of our lives. Then the sun's beams shine through the cloud and turn your stressful thoughts into loving ones. We can almost notice this if we're in a good mood one day. We can see how our thoughts can shift to the positive because of what's happened internally first because we've lived our truth, we've felt our emotions, we've connected with ourselves. And then when our sun's beams shine through the cloud, we can paint the world with our own rainbow. Oh, it's so and beautiful. And that means knowing what our true colors are, our values, our passions, our interests, the ones we've specifically been given and using them to leave our legacy, to make a difference in this world. That's what it's all about. Yes, and I think it is, and I don't think, People say that very often. I don't hear that very often at all about what is your legacy? I remember thinking there must be more to my life than a size two. I've got to be more important than that. <laughs> you know, it's like that's just such a boring thing to keep striving for, you know, and there was a lot of those kind of little awakenings here and there. And that was one of them like, this is what I'm doing to myself. <laughs> But anyway, so I love that. But we are all that. We are the sun, the cloud, and the rainbow. We get to have all of it. We get to have everything. We're not, people say, well, why am I still feeling upset? I have recovery. It's like, you didn't get a lobotomy. <laughs> you got recovery. That means you get to have all the feelings. Yeah, and our, our emotions, they are our teachers, our markers into yep. the things that we value. Yeah, so... Our emotions are teachers, and we could even go back to that story of the woman with the tank A and tank B, and the emotion comes up, and she goes, oh, I don't want to feel that, and she shoves it back down. Well, in my recovery, what I learned was that rather than shoving it back down, I learned how I had this big, green, comfy chair in my room, and I learned how to sit in it and to be a mother to myself. Yes. And to say, hun, i I'm noticing that you're walk into the kitchen a lot or you're scrolling on your phone a lot. Hun, what's going on? You okay? Do you need yeah. a hug? <laughs> and I would sit with myself and give myself a hug and again, the emotion would come up. And this time I would allow myself to express it and I would cry or in this world, a woman living in a patriarch, I would rage and I would do the things that I needed to do to feel my emotions. And out of it came what I was yearning for on how to fill my tank. So here's an example. Let's say this woman who we've been using as the example notices that, oh, I'm so lonely. Like I used to go out 
with people and go for walks in the evening. And I used to meet someone to go dancing, but I'm just so tired with my job. I just come home and I make dinner and I watch TV all night and I'm lonely. And so in this, she feels her loneliness and out of it comes this yearning to maybe possibly connect with someone. She sends a text out, makes a text or sends a text to a friend and they go for a walk. Not only is the connection there with her friendship, her nature is also satisfied by walking outside. And slowly the tank fills, tank B fills, and it fills gradually, slowly by feeling the emotion and by filling the tank with the values that it's yearning for. And that brings us to hunger, like hunger for nature, connection, creativity, community, those things that are taken from us from the clouds values. And as the tank B fills, that's stuff like the obsession with food and scrolling on our phones and eating a bottle of wine, it gradually slowly loses its charge and it falls away. We don't need to set rules around it. And I think that as you're talking is such a beautiful metaphor. And it's almost like that first time you notice that the take is empty and that it's not food that's going to ever fill that up anyway. So the first time you notice that is like when you drive into the gas station, <laughs> you know, it just starts getting filled immediately. Even if you don't put those other things in place right away, you got you, you got your attention. It's so true. It's such a slow process. Too, it is. And, it? but we really start with us. We have to go, what is it, sweetheart? I love you so much. What's this for trips to wherever? Why are you buying yet another pair of black shoes? <laughs> It's okay, you can have them, but is something up with you? <laughs> and I want to go back to what you said at the beginning where you weren't sick enough to get help. And about that, again, I hate to always keep coming back to our culture, but it is true, unless you are dying on the ground, <laughs> you, know, you must not need help and it's none of your business and I don't want to get involved in us in the helping professions, we do ask those hard questions. What are you doing with food? That doesn't sound great, but other, we just don't, people don't ask, how are you? And really want to know, especially if you go, well, I'm not really starving to death, but I'm not doing well with food, you know, because everybody else isn't doing well with food either. <laughs> <laughs> or their emotions or their anxiety. Emo right. or yeah. And I did notice that when I started to get more honest with others, it wasn't easy. <laughs> no. But to share a little bit about, yeah, I'm, I feel anxiety. I was not met with hostility or the judgment that I thought I would be met with or isolation, which was what my cloud always told me was if I just stayed pretty and small and quiet and smiled and <laughs> I'd have tons of friends. Friends came from honesty and vulnerability. And it broke down the walls between us and it made us feel more connected. And so since then, I've never really had too much trouble being honest that I'm having a <laughs> tough day or yeah. struggling with anxiety because I just noticed everybody is. So when I write a piece or a blog or something or do my online course and share something that's quite vulnerable, what I notice that it does is it just makes people breathe. Yes. Oh, that they can oh, be themselves. Somebody said it. <laughs> Thank goodness. Somebody said that. Somebody else at the table has to unbutton their pants sometimes, you know? Yay. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, when we all just get to step into the circle of realness of who we really are and what we're doing here, you know, what a concept that is. I was not, again, you know, I was taught to just be fine. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? Always like, how are you then? <laughs> and I, what's what's fine? Fake, insecure, neurotic, and egocentric. I have a 12-year-old daughter, yeah. and we laugh about that whenever she says, I'm fine, mom. I'm, I'm fine. Don't you? look at me. Are you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I was taught that was the correct answer, you know, yeah. not... I'm really afraid. I feel like a freak. I don't like anybody in my school. I don't know what I'm doing here. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Stop asking me when I'm 18 years old. I have no idea, you know. (laughs) And not to mention the massive anxiety that's happening right now with the climate change. Oh, oh my gosh. It's, I just have noticed it in the pandemic. I feel like after almost two years of us being in this, the effects of the pandemic are really showing up now in our children. Yes. Yes. I go into schools and talk about disordered eating and body hatred in ninth grade with my peer educators, with people much closer to their age than I am. I've been doing that for about 20 years. And this is like got to be the scariest uh, year of me going in there, of hearing the feedback of what they've been through the last year and a half and about the climate change and about what are we doing? What are we even sitting in this room for right now? We should be doing something else, picking up trash in the ocean. They're just really inundated with things that they didn't cause. And maybe a tiny bit of optimism. Yeah. I wonder if a another positive unearthing in this pandemic was the honesty around anxiety and mental health challenges. Exactly. And about what we are anxious about rather than, no, we're not anxious. We're fine with everything. There's a lot to be worried about right now, but there's also the human spirit, which is how can we fix this? How can we make this work for us? How can we bring our own hearts and souls into the issue and change it? Well, I wonder if you have something going on soon that you'd like to talk about, like your parent thing, which is a beautiful idea. So... I wrote my book, I launched it about a year and a half ago. It's a children's book. And I really have noticed over the last year and a half how much it speaks to adults. And I feel as though we're all a bunch of adults. We're walking around, (laughs) but there is a child inside of all of us that is yearning for attention and love. And I just love the medium of a children's book to speak to adults and that inner child within them. Uh, The playful pictures in the pages really speaks to the child inside. So the three metaphors really work for adults and children. And so I've created a 10-module online course that I'll be launching in January using the sun, the cloud, and the rainbow metaphors to teach parents on how to return home to themselves, to inspire them to reconnect with themselves and to really learn self-care in the deepest way. It's not just on the surface, as you can know from this conversation, it goes deep. So we're talking emotions and thought work and values. And then when the parents learn 
these concepts, then they're better able to teach them to their children as well. So there's a trickle down effect. Yes, exactly. I love it. And you know, we wrote, Carol and I, the other founder of Beyond Hunger, we wrote, it's not about food first. It's a book for women. And a couple years later, all of our teenagers that we worked with or the peer educators all were like, where's our book? We read that book. It's okay, but it's not addressing what we go through. So we wrote the teenage book, which is called Over It. And it's a teen book. And it's the 20 year anniversary in December, actually, of that book coming out. But what my feedback I get a lot of times is people say, I love the teen book for myself because I feel like I'm a teen most of the time or a toddler. (laughs) So true. So you're exactly right. We need to give the adults permission to also go back and take care of that inner little one and the inner teen and the inner 20 year old or whatever. Yeah, I find too, like there's so much advice for parents on how to be parents. Like you should do this. You shouldn't do that. You should do this. But there's no real support for the parent. It's like, I know how to parent. I know I'm not supposed to be yelling at my child. I know I'm supposed to play with them for 15 minutes without looking at my phone fully directly in full presence. <laughs> I'm not I know all that. Yeah, I'm not supposed to give them a cookie me? when they fall down and hurt themselves. <laughs> Exactly. And I want them to be quiet. Yeah. 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 And as much as I know, you're never supposed to say don't cry sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe I just admitted that. (laughs) Well, for sure. I remember the first time I said something and I was like, oh my God, I just said what my mother said all the time. It was very discouraging. (laughs) Yeah. But I was human and am human. Interesting. Yeah, we love and we need self-care and we need to connect with our community and be honest and get help with all of that. And that makes the difference between reacting and responding to our children. Yeah. I wonder if you will read the, just for today, if you still have the card with you. Hunger is our strong desire to meet our own needs. Many of us have forgotten how to differentiate between our physical, emotional, and spiritual hunger. When we relearn to listen to our bodily wisdom and internal cues, we can begin to understand this difference and meet each hunger with the appropriate response. We can then be satisfied and content. Thank you so much. And I feel like your work is exactly that. So I appreciate you being here today. Yeah, and I appreciate you. Thanks for everything that you do. Yeah. I love it. You too. On the same coast, but way far away. I know. (laughs) I feel very similar to everybody on this coast. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you so much. And good luck with your work with the adults in the room. (laughs) And I really love that you're doing it. We need it so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening and be sure and follow me on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and it's not about food.com. Thanks.